So I asked this older gentleman, you know, oh, have you lived here all your life? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, and he said, not yet. Well, that's a great answer. That's a good point. Very, yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I... I didn't think about it that way. That's Yeah, it's good. Well, that's, you know. Oh, hey, yeah. wait a minute. We're rolling. All right. Let's roll. Well, I'm Rich. And I'm Mark. And we are Two, two guys, guys on Block, Block Island. What shall we do with well, um, I'm happy to announce that we are here in the presence of some greatness on Block Island. It's often been said that nobody loves Block Island as much as she. We are here with none other than Edie Blaine. Edie, thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. How are you? It's nice to meet you. You and I have never met before. No, I, I, I wondered who you were, and I didn't, I couldn't, I said I don't recognize that person at all. That's, you, that may be for the best. I'm glad when I walked up, you weren't like, oh no, that guy. Not him again. Not that guy. <laughs> no, tomorrow morning you could say, well, uh, I, I met Edie finally. Yeah. Well, I'm telling all my friends. Yeah, we're so happy. <laughs> yes, thank you so much for doing this. We're really looking forward to ta- talking with you. Yeah, we and we, a lot of our listeners love to hear, you know, stories about Block Island. And, you know, from times gone by and you have some good stories is what we've been told. So I have some dandies. Some I can tell and some are not fit to hear. Well, I think we mostly <laughs> want to hear the ones that are not fit to hear. Yeah, let's start yeah, with those. Everybody wants that. <laughs> well, we'll see. Maybe you can sneak one of those in for us. You well, know. you can leave the names out, too. Don't yeah, you? yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Well, that piques everybody's interest and they say, gee, I wonder when she'll say that. <laughs> yeah. So... Uh, most of our guests, we just kind of start off at the beginning. You know, how and when did you, uh, I, like, I don't know. Were you born here or did you move here? And how, how went, at what age and that sort of thing? So. Well, I'm sitting in a chair in a house that I grew up in. And it was built by my great-grandfather, Joshua Chase Smith, in 1840. And uh, as most Block Highlanders in those days, when they got married, they tried to have their own house. And um, it was always said, you always, my husband used to say, you always get the cage before you get the canary. <laughs> so we're sitting in the main part of the house that was built back then. It since has had some additions. Uh, one generation raised it up a story and a half. And so there are now four little bedrooms upstairs. One turned into a bathroom. But it's a spot I love most. The sun comes in in the morning goes over the around the south side of the house, uh, southwest in the afternoon, so the house, when it's sunny, is filled with sunlight. And I, it's to me, it's the best spot in the world. But how I came here was uh, I was born in South Norwalk because my mother came here as a girl from the city, and it was uh, April 13th, 1929, that I was born. So on this Wednesday, I'll be 93. Wow. And um, my mother had my other sister Betty and I back in Connecticut because she'd had Eileen here on Block Island, and both of them nearly died. And she said, "I'm not going to go through that again." So the two of us were born with in the hospital with no trouble. So at about a three and a half weeks old, my father came to Norwalk with his fishing boat, where he could come right up the river. And he could uh, dock his boat and walk right up the street to my grandmother's house. So we came home, and uh, it was, um, as I say, I think it was about six six or seven hours because the old Chelsea only went eight knots. So it was not a fast trip. And my mother was not a good sailor. But we came home, and this is the house that I grew up in. When I got married, we had a little house down that we called Sleepy Hollow, and I sold that after my boys were grown up and my husband had died and came back up here. And my happiest uh, times are really spent in this house and in the gardens around it. We're two fields back from the uh, ocean and two fields back from the Great Salt Pond. So I consider this, this is Shangri-La. I mean, what could be better? And when we were growing up, we spent most of our time in the summertime down on the beach, or we spent a lot of our time down on Salt Pond. We had a boat down there. My father had a shanty. We went quagging, swimming, and he had a a lobster car down there, and we used to dive off of that. 
So I learned everything down there. And uh, since I was the last one, and my father was so disappointed that I was not a boy, <laughs> that uh, he said, well, you know, he had my name all picked out. I was to be named for my grandfather. And he said, well, it's a girl. I'll bring her up like a boy. And he did. And he took me everywhere. He showed me all kinds of things. He showed me how to row a boat. Um, he showed me how to glaze the windows. I mean, he taught me how to fish, how to clean a fish, uh, everything. And, and conservation was very much on his mind. In those days, the state of Rhode Island gave a shell fisherman uh, a beautiful brass ring. They don't do that anymore. They, say they give them some little aluminum thing, and it isn't nearly as nice. I remember the brass rings. That's yes. a, when we went to go with my grandfather when I was little. It was a you know, that really was a, very you know. precious, that brass ring. Oh, I gave it, mine to Christopher. It reminded me of the rings. Do you remember the old merry-go-rounds where you could grab a ring as you went by? We didn't have any merry-go-rounds here. <laughs> this is where I grew up. <laughs> sorry. All right. All right. Come on, Rich. I'm sorry. That was Coney Island. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, so you came from someplace else. I sure did. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and when, I, when you were saying uh, you had introduced somebody and you had asked them, uh, how long they'd been here. My father used to say the same thing. They would say to him, Mr. Littlefield, how long have you been here? And he says, well, 80-some years so far. Yeah. But he yeah. always said so far. So far. It's good to qualify that. <laughs> <laughs> and he died when he was 82, but my mother lived to be almost 95. So you have some, some longevity, longevity in your yes, genes. But my, both of my sisters died early, so okay. you, you don't know. Can yeah. I ask a quick question? You said you would... There was a your family had a lobster car and you would dive off of that out in the harbor. What's a lobster car? A lobster car is a is made of wood, has slots in it, you know, so the water can go in and out, and it floats and it's um, held to the bottom by a, a line and an anchor, probably a piece of cement or an, a, a real anchor, some iron, maybe a piece of railway iron that somebody got. Whatever they found on the shore. Yeah, whatever was around. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. And it floated. You see, it was floating. So the top of the lobster car was level with the pond. And you could get up on that and dive off. It was wonderful. And did it have like hatches? It had a hatch. So you could keep lobsters in? Yeah, you put the lobsters in. My father went lobstering out through the new channel and uh, in the summertime. Lobstering and, and um, swordfish. And when you say the new channel, that's the ch- <laughs> that's a new channel. That <laughs> he always called it. Yeah, it was it was opened in eighteen ninety seven. Okay, think. And that's the year the my father one. was born. And uh, as opposed to the old breach, you've heard him mention the old breach. No, no, what's that? Uh, yeah. Well, at Salt Pond, um, further sort of northeast of the new channel. Um, there, there was a natural channel that when it was really uh, very windy and, and uh, very high in low tides, the water would come in. So the pond was really, it was fresh water to begin with. and But boats could not come in there. Uh, and the uh, town uh, fishermen that used to dock over at um, the hog pen, uh, they said, you know, it would really be a great help if this was open for commercial and so the federal government and the state of Rhode Island, there's a whole book at the town hall about the the um, opening of the pond and all they went through, an act of the General Assembly and a lot of money from federal because it was opening a, a waterway. And um, But until 1897, it was landlocked. Wow. Except but it would get brackish because there storms. It was brackish because that natural yeah. old breach was, you know, there. Sort of like Sockham Pond is now. It, it's been yeah, breached so many times. Yeah, if it was times. a terrible, yeah. terrible storm, you know, the water would come in. Yeah. You can't stop water. No. No, that's no. for sure. I actually have a question, Edie. It, when um, when the channel was going to be cut into the Great Salt Pond, do you know, was that, a, a, like, these days when things happen on the island, it seems like there's a controversy a lot of times with opposing viewpoints. Was that a thing back then? Did that was was anyone opposed to the? Well, I wasn't. I wasn't really around in eighteen ninety seven. Oh, but, that's right. That's uh, right. If there had been any uh, opposition, 
it would come up at a council meeting. Yeah. And you'd have to look at the records. Gotcha. You know, like in, around 1865, so there, go forward. And uh, it's fascinating to read those old books. You've been through most well, of Well, I was town clerk for 16 years. Oh, really? And then I went on to be the first woman that um, <laughs> was bold enough to ask to be first warden. Wow. <laughs> Not easy. And then I had that for two terms. You were the first warden for two terms. Two terms. What, what years was that? And the that? first female first warden. The first female yeah, first yeah. warden. 1984, what? I had a two, two I, re- I remember term. that, yeah. 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 And then in, in um, uh, 1986, I wasn't opposed and... I ran, and then Ed McGovern opposed me in 1988, and he won, and I left, and then I started Ragged Sailor, I mean, uh, Offshore Property. Yep. Uh, Real, Real estate. estate. Yeah. How did you like your time as First Warden? The what? How did you enjoy your time as First Warden? Oh, listen, I had a great time. <laughs> I had a great time. Uh, you know, it, um, there was a group that came over to the Block Island Club where they, nearby here, and uh, Herman Hassinger at the time uh, was great. You know, he had a, arranged a, a program there, and he said, you, I was first warden, and he said, they would very much like to meet you. And I said, well, I don't speak German. I don't know if they're going to make any connection or not. So he said, I'll take care of that. So I went down as the first warden. And as soon as he said, in German, he said, this is the Bürgermeister, <laughs> which is what they call it in Germany. Sure. See? Well, these people were bowing the Bürgermeister <laughs> to think that a woman was the Bürgermeister. Wow. I mean, that that was, uh, it, it, it was really such fun because, you know, I no matter what job I had, I had a very, a lot of fun and a lot of good times. Wow. Well, that's good. That's great. Yeah. And that is bold. You know, not afraid to put your hat in the ring at a time for change. Oh, listen, or... I, I was a, I was very firm about things. And um, they listened. But, you know, my son, Peter, was chairman of the Republican Down Committee. And when I said to them, I would like to run for first warden, there was a dead silence in the room. <laughs> the now, there might have been three women, might have been two women on the uh, committee. I think my sister Eileen and one other lady was on that committee, but mostly it was men because it was a very macho community. Women had their place. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I and my th- two sisters were not the type to stay in place. <laughs> we were always looking to do other things. And so they had to get used to me, you know, and, and they may, may, so someone on the council after I was finally got through it. And uh, when I made that announcement before the chairman, uh, who was Peter, there was this terrible silence and, and nobody said anything. And I said to them, because I was a member of this committee, I said, well, if you don't want me to be town cl- uh, warden, if you don't want me to run for that, I'll continue on as town clerk. And I'll leave the meeting now, and you can let me know what you decide. Did you do that? I did. I got up and I left. <laughs> and they let me know the next day that um, Peter, I think, was very grudgingly called me and said, we've decided to let you run. I said, yeah, I know. I'm the bottom of the barrel. <laughs> <laughs> They didn't have a candidate, and I knew it. <laughs> well, I think it says a lot that nobody came up to oppose you for the next election. Like that's you. you yes, know. but I did have opposition in that first election. Yeah, and right. it was from Catherine Champlin, who had that that um, office had been occupied by her father and her grandfather, and she had always worked as deputy town clerk. And she decided she was going to be Democrat. She went over to the other side, and there they were. They didn't have a candidate in them for the Republicans. That's when I stepped up. But I said, if you don't want me, that's fine. I'll continue on where I am. Yeah, and you left and let them let them decide. Yeah, that but, that but, speaks but volumes. But there was a big a big picture on the Block Island Times. It's eighty, you know. <laughs> yeah, real. I, I mean, Peter Wood had a lot of fun with that. Peter and uh, I had our little problems, but. 
we uh, that's always, Peter Wood who owned Peter the Block Wood, Island yeah. Times. Yeah, yeah. I would always tell Peter if something was wrong, but uh, at the same time, I was always telling him when there was something that I thought he'd done right. Yeah, and that's the way to balance. It, it. is. Yeah. Well, and, Pe- Pe- and he Peter, would do the same right. with me. Yes, Peter for, was a person, from what I understand, he didn't no, really have a problem speaking his mind about. Things. Yeah, he he was not. I think he was from New York. Mm, yeah. Well, that's yeah. still okay, yeah. I guess. I yeah. guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I know. So um, I'm from New York. I know. I know. That's why I'm trying to be nice. You know. <laughs> it's funny hearing these stories because there, mu- there must be something with Bog Island because my great grandmother and her sister purchased land here in the early 1900s, and they they carried the banner for women's rights and the women's rights marches yeah. and all that back in the you know, and oh, they both yes. were working women. You know, at a time when it wasn't popular, you know, women, like you said, at that but time kind of had their place. If you think about it, you know, we had a, a superintendent of schools who was first warden. I mean, um, superintendent, woman. We had um, a postmistress, Natalie Mitchell. Oh, yeah. I and remember some, her. And, and yeah. some others before her. And so uh, a woman tax collector. Yeah. So there were... Um, the women of Block Island were very strong. I, I think yeah. so. They yeah. really were. Yeah. I mean, you think of Elizabeth Dickens, where she lived, and you know, as an older woman, her um, her aunt was bedridden, and she took care of her at that house for nine years without running water, without a bathroom, doing everything for this lady. And that, where is that house located? Yeah. Where, that, where is up that Up on house? the west side, on Dickens Point. Okay. Wow. So out? In nowhere, right? yeah. way, way remote. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, very, very far off. So you then, uh, now I'm going to jump back a little bit. Yeah. You came to Block Island then, and then uh, did you attended school here. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, what, so tell us a little what about was what school, school like oh, back in well, those days. Well, of course, I was dying to go to school, and because my sisters had both started very early because they didn't have any rules or regulations then. So they could start at five years old if they were bright, you know, and looking as if they were good candidates for school. I was longing to go, and of course there were so many years between us. Between my next sister, there were four and a half years, and between my older sister, Eileen, there were almost ten years. So I was the last of the Mohicans, and and they didn't want me tagging along. (laughs) And you were like, I got to get out of this house. (laughs) I was on my own and uh, dying to go to school, learning to read, and and I loved school. So I was six and a half before I went to school. So uh, always loved it, never had a problem, Uh, always a a big reader. And I, I will tell you the little thing about my father. Because the whole family uh, were really uh, addicted to reading in the evening. That's what we did. And you have to remember, too, that we didn't have cars here. So everywhere you went, you walked. So it was from here to the harbor and back again was a five-mile trip. So when I was about, I might have been between 10 and 11 my father took me on a Saturday because the library was open. Saturdays from two to four. <laughs> that was the hours. <laughs> that was for the hours. Those are better than better than bankers' hours. <laughs> <laughs> so he took me down on a nice Saturday, and we sat stood outside the the library, which was located where Eli's is now, where the restaurant is there. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, little. And that was that was the library, and the council meetings were held there because there was no heat in the main town hall. Was it that size, that tiny little Eli's size yeah. building? And well, when, where- when you went to the town council, you came in and you told them your problem, and then you were to leave. There was no sitting around listening to them. Oh, no. Oh, almost sounds like <laughs> oh. that was a better way. That's, yeah. what, that's what you call open government, you yeah. uh, <laughs> know. So I'm standing outside the, the th- Thanks, that's enough. You can go yeah. now. Well, yeah, we'll, we've heard we'll, now. We'll, <laughs> and they would. They yeah. would tell them, you know, you, you're you finished. That's fine. You come back Thank next week and we'll much. tell you what we'll happened. Give, we'll give you an answer. <laughs> so, um, wow. Next month, not next week. <laughs> and so... Uh, I'm standing outside, and my father said to me, you know, when you win here, you're going to get your library card. 
and you have to take special care of all the books because there are a lot of people after you that are going to read the same books. But he said, when you're reading those books, you can be anywhere in the world. And I I always remember that because it's quite true. And and the, po- the um, librarian, who was Eliza Willis, never stopped me from uh, reading what I wanted, even if they were beyond me. I started on the west side of the building, <laughs> went through the ones I was interested in, went through the northern shelves, <laughs> and got around to the east, eventually. <laughs> and that's how I chose my books. So you read every book in the library. <laughs> I tell you, probably, I mean, not every one, but she used to let me take as many as I could carry home. And five books was about what I could carry because I was little. Walking five miles. Yeah, five miles. And if it was if it was rainy, I never let the rain stop me any more than any other Block Islander did. You put on your slicker, your sou'wester, and your boots, and you set out. And you probably had to be careful to keep the books under the slicker so they didn't get wet. Yeah. 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 Did yeah. you? And you walked to school every day, I would assume. No, we had a bus. Oh, there was a bus. When I grew up, okay. we had a bus. I don't think they did when my sister Eileen, but... They managed to get her to school. Now, did your sister give you a hard time saying that, you know, oh, you you got it easy. When I was your age, we didn't have a bus to go to school, even though oh, it was only a couple I years mean, later. Oh, let me tell you, she, she would say, I'm the eldest, and I deserve respect. And believe me, she got it. Wow. That's how it works. Sounds huh? like she, she, she wasn't an option. It was commanded. That's right. Yeah, no, yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you received your orders. But she was a wonderful, I mean, she was gifted and funny, and uh, we fought like cats and dogs when I was little. And she would Happens. say to my mother, I don't know why you let that child do that. You would never let me do that at my at that age, and of course, by having had three kids, my mother said she was giving up. Yeah, that's usually how it works. The the third kid, they're all worn down a little. Yes. Yeah. And when I got out of school, uh, you know, at eighteen, Eileen had had married uh, her husband in nineteen forty five, and he became a light keeper, and they were light keepers down in on Cape Cod. Uh, at Race Point, and then when there was an opening here at Northlight, they applied for the job and got it, so they moved to Block Island. Wow. Wow. Oh, that's kind of a cool— So you know, she was yeah. back here. Betty was off at school and uh, never really returned until 1969. But Eileen and I did all kinds of things together, any wallpapering up here, painting, and then we started a business, and we went out and worked. Yep. Wow. What was your What was your first job here on the island as a kid? First job? Yeah. What was the first job you ever had out here? My first job was telephone office. It was after yeah. you got out of high school. But after did you work I, during the summers? I did not summers? go off to college. I was all set to go. Uh-huh. Everything was done. I was going to URI, but I didn't have any burning desire to go to college. I really loved home, and I didn't want to leave, and I stayed here. And I then I got a job, and it, when it, you know the size of the telephone book, the little directory. Sure. Well, we had a book like that, but in the front of it, there were the there were maybe there might have been six pages of telephone numbers because not everybody had a phone, and uh, it was when. It was really after the war when people World War Two when people came and bought property. And a lot of estates were just wallowing. Nobody really responsible for them. And they bought up houses, and they had to put poles in to get electricity, and then the telephones came. But I was um, I was 18, and I went to Gladys Stedman. Do you remember Gladys? Mm, I don't At know. At the Historical Society? I, I think I met her when I was younger. You probably did. Yeah, yeah. But everybody, everybody knew Gladys. And she was the manager of the uh, telephone company, New England Tell and Tell. And uh, she said, well, you've got the job. After I mean, she'd known me since I was in my bassinet. And she said, you take this book home and uh, you memorize all the names and numbers. What? And when you've done that, come back. And uh, we'll give you a job. Of course, I had 
the worst hours, 7 to 10 at night. Now, I had to walk from here out to the telephone office. And when I got through at 10 o'clock, I had to walk back. Where yeah. And where was the telephone office then? Right there where um, um, Darius is. Oh, the Darius, the, yeah. the, ho- the little hotel. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah, I think yeah. Christy and Becca they, told they, us about that. At some point in yeah. time, yeah. It had been a few things, a pharmacy, mm-hmm. and, uh, but it was a telephone. Yeah, there was a pharmacy there. Yeah. yeah. Lockwood, Leonard Lockwood. Okay, so you and you, so you had to memorize. So I had to memorize. Now there were four party lines. You see, Uh they were R, J, W, and M. So it was a a switchboard, and when a line came in and somebody wanted the operator, little drop would fall down. So you'd pick up this cord with a an end on it and plunge it in, like you have your cords there. Sure, and you would say operator and they would generally tell you the name of who they wanted yep yeah no i want the doctor come uh i want the seaside market they wouldn't give you the number because they wouldn't look it up <laughs> so that's why you had to memorize them so then the, these party lines you you know you put the corresponding cord into the number you were going to call and say it was like us was one eight M when we finally got it to M was a long and two shorts. J was a long and one short, which was Adrian's house. And the W was five shorts and and then there was one with just three. And the lady that had the three had a canary. And of course if they were living alone, there was great they'd take the telephone receiver off the hook and you could hear the conversation that was going on really so everybody listened in but at this lady's <laughs> house you could hear the canary singing so she knew she was there Edie, did it you, was like the it was like the newspaper line you did know? you hear any good juicy conversations no i didn't hear oh, come you on. weren't supposed to do that of course, <laughs> of course not. not no of course not. i wouldn't have no um so when when did the uh, what year did the four six six area or uh, come in or like direct dialing? When did they start to? That came um, the year Chris was born, nineteen fifty seven. Okay, he has a great picture of. Uh, I think he might have sent the me day a that we cut over to. To and dial. I think he showed it to me. And are you the young lady, like, yeah, kind of peeking I'm, I out was between... very pregnant with Chris. Chris was born May 29th, and this was in April. Oh, okay. That they cut over. And and Arthur Rose is in the picture. Oh, is he? Yeah, oh, as a young fellow. And he was this, the uh, town sergeant. Okay. Oh. Yeah, you, you get a look at it. I, I looked at it, and I thought I, one of the guys looked. I thought it was Larry Rose, but there was, no, it was it Arthur. Was Arthur. Okay. Chris knows which one he is in there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And all the big wigs came, you know. Well, that's what it seemed like in the picture. There was a lot of people there. So the, the telephone company big wigs well, came yeah, into town. Well, yeah, there were big wigs and... from the telephone company. Gladys was there. Gladys Sedman and her were cousin Mary and... And uh, Edna White was there because she was the one that was in charge after uh, Gladys got through. Wow, that is Edie. How bi- how big was your graduating class? Who were the people that you graduated? There were seven in mine. And do you who were some of the p- folks you graduated with? Um, Everett Brown was one of my class. Um, Barbara Gaspo, you probably don't know her, and. Um, let me see. Alan Hall. Oh, okay. Now, isn't it? It was seven of us. Uh, Skelly Conley. How many have I said? Boy, sure. We I are, don't know. We are like testing five. the memory here. And it's, yeah, I and didn't mean to throw any Passing with flying <laughs> colors. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can't. I, oh, that's close. How um, did a lot of the, what would you say, did the majority at that time when you graduated stick around and stay on Block Island or did... Like nowadays, I find it's about. I mean, well, you know, Everett and and uh, um, Skelly and Alan stayed here. Yep. Why can't I remember the other girls? 
Because they weren't as important as you. No, but. yes, they were. <laughs> Everybody was important. Uh, oh, yeah, I'm kidding. Yeah. Oh, Rosemary, my sister-in-law to be, Rosemary Blaine, she was in my class. There were three girls. I can't even remember if Phyllis Mitchell was in our class or not, but I do remember there were seven of us, and I'm the last one. That's, That's right. It. Yeah. And Alan, I, I, when uh, uh, Everett died, I called Alan, and I said, Alan. Everett Brown died. You, I said, you and I are the last of the Mohicans. I said, we're the last ones left. And then, of course, he died. Yep, not too long ago. Not too long yeah. ago. He was a fisherman, yeah. you know, most of his life. That's but he, wasn't, boys, he wasn't here the whole time because he came from Newport. His family had moved off after the war. And now, was the time you went to school from... from Early on to graduating, was it one school? You were always in that one building, or were there? Well, it was the building that's there now, and that's that was the school. Yeah. Okay, wow. I started school in 1935. Oh, Anne Moran was in my class. I still am in touch with her. She's fit as a fiddle. <laughs> she she's in an assisted living because she had a hip replacement, and it pops out. Yep. So she has to have somebody. Put her shoes and socks on. She can't do it. And she said, I wasn't going to burden my kids. I sold my house, and she said, I'm here. Well, well that's... Uh, but yeah. she she was a teacher of English for 30 years, and she's sharp as a tack. And her handwriting is perfect. That's a lost art form these days. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And I she, still, said, I I don't need, she said, <laughs> I don't even take an aspirin. Wow. 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 I can't say that right now at 53. It must be, yeah, I know. It must be something in the water out here. <laughs> I'm going to start drinking more of That's it. That's what she said. You know, people say to her, wow, you certainly have, because she her birthday's in August, mine's in April. So she was just, you know, a few months younger than me. <laughs> August, April. What does time really matter when you're Edie Blaine? Um, unfortunately, the times we live in require us to uh, take care of business, which means we're going to have to take a break and uh, check in with our sponsors. And then we'll be right back with Edie Blaine. Hey, Rich, do these bell bottoms make me look fat? Bell bottom. Oh, wait, it must be Monday and you're going to disco night at Captain Nick's. Well, yeah, of course I'm going to disco night at Captain Nick's. I'm the DJ, man. I got to be there. <laughs> that place is so much fun. So much fun. And the fun doesn't end after Monday because on Tuesday and Wednesdays, we have dueling pianos followed by Dr. Wes Chesterson's sloppy seconds. What are sloppy seconds? Well, that's when I play the piano for the rest of the drunk people there at the end of the night. Oh, that sounds fun in itself. And Thursdays, they've got live acoustic acts and full bands and DJs. Yeah. And Friday and Saturday afternoons, we have acoustic acts on the deck at 5.30. Uh, Fridays are Delaney, and then Saturdays are Buddy Rob Davis. And then Friday and Saturday nights, they've got the best live bands on Block Island, like Derek and the Fun Bags, The Blushing Brides, Fever, Neil and the Vipers, West End Blend, and the High and Mighty Brass Band, just to name a few. Yeah, and uh, the bands aren't over just because Friday and Saturday night ends. On Sunday afternoons, the Young Guns take the stage on the deck at 5.30. Sunday fun day, and what if you're hungry? They got food. Food, right? Yeah, for sure. All right. So they've serving food out of Captain Galley seven days a week, including some late night grub. So, you know, if you're hungry, stop in late night and grab a bite. Yeah. And if you want to check out the full entertainment schedule, let's just head over to CaptainNicksBI.com. Discovering the hidden gems of Block Island is one of the greatest parts about visiting. While the Atlantic Inn is far from hidden, it is most certainly one of the gems. Perched at the top of High Street, the Atlantic Inn offers stunning views of Old Harbor, Crescent Beach, and all the way back to the mainland, or America, as we like to call it. But views aren't the only thing that make this gorgeously maintained Victorian beauty one of Block Island's must-see destinations. Well-appointed yet cozy rooms offer guests all of the relaxation they need after a hard day at the beach. Innkeepers Brad and Ann Marthens are the quintessential hosts, and they love sharing their expansive knowledge of food and great wine with their guests. The restaurant at the Atlantic serves exquisitely crafted gourmet fare. Their thoroughly curated wine list offers varietals and vintages that will pair beautifully with whatever you're dining on. Perhaps the greatest thing about the Atlantic Inn is their incredible tapas and cocktails menu offered outside on the deck and front lawn. Kick back in an Adirondack chair, take in the view, and breathe a sigh of relief. You can tell your friends that you finally found it. The Atlantic Inn, a Block Island gem hidden in plain sight. For more information, please visit AtlanticInn.com. Rich, you know, there is no better place 
to just chill out and watch the sunset than the Atlantic. You sit out there in the Adirondacks and have a little drink brought to you. And, you know, the view is spectacular and the staff is just great. The staff's fantastic and the tapas are out of this world. Just delicious. Yeah. We like to have like a little glass of wine, some olives, and just kind of feel like we're in Europe. (laughs) And they do up there. Yeah. It's just beautiful. Hey, Rich, I feel like I need some exercise. Let's go run the Block Island Triathlon. Um, I'm more into low impact. How about a gentle paddle? Oh, sure. Well, we could go explore the Great Salt Pond on a kayak or paddleboard from Ford Island Kayaks. Yeah, they and you know they have the Hobie pedal boards, too. You ever try one of those out? It's like a bike on water. I've heard about that. They've also got the Peekaboo Glass Bottom Kayak. Yeah, and you can rent all their stuff by the hour, or half day, full day, or even a whole week. If you're going to stay for a week, you can reserve a, a kayak for a week. Yeah, but you know what? You you might want to make a reservation if your group is six or more. That's a hot tip for you. Well, that's a good tip. I like it. So uh, basically, you go explore the Great Salt Pond. It's got hidden coves. There's the oyster farms out there, the marinas. Andy's Way is great, you know? Yeah, it's super cool. And it's operated by, and it's located adjacent to our friends at the BI Fishworks place. Oh, nice. All right. Well, you can hear everything we just talked about and more if you go to the BIFishworks.com, or you can give them a call at 401 466 You know what my favorite thing to do on a paddleboard is? What's that? I like to bring a sandwich with me and paddle out to Andy's Way and just kind of camp out there and eat my sandwich. It's like finding your own private spot. I just try to not get sand in my sandwich. Well, better in your sandwich than your shorts. That's my motto. Yeah, good point. Yellow Kittens Tavern began as a Prohibition-era speakeasy, and the fun hasn't stopped since. Kittens is the perfect post-beach stopover. In fact, it's so close, you can walk there straight from your beach chair. With a shaded deck offering breathtaking views of Crescent Beach, Los Gatitos Mexican Restaurant at the Kittens is famous for fresh Tex-Mex, amazing nachos, margaritas, and the iconic Block Island frozen mudslide. You want to eat on the beach? Well, place your takeout order online at yellowkittens.com or by calling 401-466-5855. Open for lunch at 1130 to 730 in season the deck fun continues until 930 with live entertainment and small plates available at night the yellow kittens tavern is the spot to listen to great live music gather with friends and socialize for info on live music and the infamous wednesday night dj dance party visit yellowkittens.com block island's longest running night spot and favorite mexican restaurant Yellow Kittens Tavern, located just past the four corners on Corneck road i love hanging out on the deck at yellow kittens in the afternoon the frozen margaritas there are amazing i don't know what they do they they have the machine there right but they're great uh, you know that sounds awesome but nights are fun too you know when they've got the live band plan and you're drinking and having fun with your friends i mean that place one word rocking now if we ask a question about something pre-dating you it's not because we think you're around in 1850 but you probably have closer firsthand stories of those things right when did the uh i heard a story that i wanted to ask you about if you the the power company burned down and they brought the military came in to power the yeah and what that was in february 1946 and what happened well they came in and um in fact i think i had a picture of the, um, I think of the name of the boat was, a, it was a buoy tender or a destroyer escort, either one or the other. And um, it was the Kearsarge. And they put a big cable, ran it right up the dock along um, Ocean Avenue over to the power company. And that's how we had power. And how long did they keep the boat here for? Oh, it must have been here for three or four weeks, so that they could get engines, you know, and install them, make sure they were running. Were they able to power the whole, what, at that yeah, time, they the, were. the whole grid was yeah. powered by a boat? There was no worry about safety cables, you know. There was a little small sign said, Don't touch high this. voltage, <laughs> do not go near. But nobody would even think of doing anything. Yeah. Now they have all these safety things. I mean, then it was common sense. Well, yeah. that's what they used yeah. to call it. Yeah, you know, my mother in the would we'd go outside and she'd say go play, and we'd be out outside all day. I think there's been kind of a mission to remove common sense. You know, yeah. I mean, how are kids going to know anything about danger? 
That's right. You learn about danger when you get out and you've done something and you, I know I shouldn't have done that. I stuck a pin in an outlet once when I was a kid. And And you learned. I I lived (laughs) and I never stuck a pin in an outlet again. I realized what electricity, you know, that's what you you learn. Funny you should mention that because when Chris was tiny, um, he was in the playpen. Of course, they don't have playpens anymore. And uh, Ed was an electrician, and a lot of times he'd have pieces of uh, with a cord on one end, and this end was just the bare wire in the in the covering. So he gave one to Christopher, and Christopher, being Christopher, of course, inserted it into the plug, and then took hold of the wire and got it really zapped. And he said to his father, Daddy, he said, there's a biter in there. <laughs> there's a biter in there. <laughs> yes. And his father said to him, there certainly is, and you never get used to it. <laughs> I remember him saying that. He was an electrician. He said, you're never prepared for getting that bite. Yeah. Wow. My grandfather was doing some home wiring once, and he said, here, and he handed me a broom. And I said, what's this for? He goes, well, if I start rattling from the electricity, hit me with the broom. Yeah. You know, knock me, yeah. knock yeah. me out. Of the- I was like, oh, all right. Yeah. That was terrifying. I was, t- I was like, what's he talking about? Because I guess a good shock can kind of grab you and sure. hold you there, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So he said, your yeah. job is to. Yeah, There's nothing good- like it. You know, it, you can feel that tingle go up your head. Oh, oh man. Yeah, I, ever since the pin, I've made it a business of mine to not. Yeah. And, get and Chris again. told me that he wanted me to tell you about lightning. Oh, yeah. Because we just had the we storm. We just had a storm not that long ago. It hit the island twice. Well, you yeah. know, when my mother came here, as I say, she was a city girl. So she comes here. There's an outhouse. There's no running water, no bathroom, a wood stove to cook on, you know, nothing gas. And she's a person who is had a father with a bad stomach, and everything was broiled. So they lived on chicken, veal, lamb. Not to be thought of here. So she came to Block Island, and they had pork because they had uh, the pigs. They were butchered in January, and we ate that until it got warm in April. So... She said the first year she was here, she was covered in boils because she hadn't been used to that kind of a—or fried fish. That was the other thing. We had fish and shellfish about seven days a week. So one of the things on Block Island then, the whole island was clear. There was no brush. There were very—you know, everybody had an orchard, but they were in a certain regulated spot. And uh, everybody had apple trees in there, cherry trees, plum trees, and it was very nice because they they, they grew a lot of their own fruit. And uh, so when she came here, you could look right across the island from side to side. We could look down to the new harbor. We could look down to the old harbor. Now it's all grown up to brush. So it was very open and... uh, we had terrible lightning storms, terrible lightning storms. And my mother used to hide when those storms came. And we kids didn't think anything of it, you know. But my father was very careful with it. Well, he, he told me one day that he'd been asleep in this little room over here. It was a bedroom for his mother his mother and father. And he was taking, he was still at the age when he took a nap came up a terrible, terrible thunderstorm and took the um, the um, post, the inner post that holds the roof up and struck it. And he was in there. He said he couldn't see anything but red for two days. He, they thought he was blinded. Wow. Now, the second story is <laughs> when in the wintertime, the room in there was closed off because it was too, you know, facing the west and, and the north. And so in the summertime, my mother would have it all open. The front door would be open in the windows and everything. We had a storm come up and a ball of fire. Have you ever seen one of those lightning balls? No. Well, they used to come here. 
uh, and I'll tell you when how they came here. But anyway, we had this awful storm. This fireball came in, and that was a hallway then, in through the window, around the room, and out again. Now, my mother had a, a, a wallpaper on the wall that had gilt. Oh, it like, took every piece of gilt off. Oh, the, like gold? Like, yeah. It was like yeah. a little fleur-de-lis pattern, and you could look right through and see the plaster. Wow. Was it like perfectly where the gold? Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> as, some, as if somebody had cut it with a knife. Wow. So there was a salesman came here in the 20s sometime. And my mother said, I really wish that we had the lightning rods on the house. <laughs> so they did. They had Th- that was after it. a couple of lightning strikes. Yeah. 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 But as a kid, before the hurricane, where Christopher's house is, was a barn. And on each end of the barn was a big peak like this. It was copper. And then there was this thick cable that ran down the roof and was grounded. When we had thunderstorms, it was nothing to look out there and see these globes like, you know, eight or ten inches across. And they would they were blue. They were so high with velocity, they were blue. And they'd go from one spire end to the other. Wow. Oof. Absolutely. Wow. <laughs> so you mentioned the, f- uh, did you say the storm in uh, big. Uh, what, what, what were some of the bigger storms that you remember out here? The bad storms. Yeah, the really bad ones. Oh like. well, of course, the thirty-eight hurricane took the cake. And you, how? Uh, so you were what nine years old? When I, that yeah, happened? I was about nine years. Do you old. remember it very well? Or like, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. We were we were at school, and they lay. You know, it was a beautiful day that day, and this story is in my book. The um, it was a beautiful day. Everybody wants to know about the hurricane. Yeah. And uh, the fishermen had gone out to fish, and uh, but they came in at about one o'clock because the when they were out there, the water had looked very odd. It was a very odd cast to it. The sky was sort of yellowish, and and a current running that they felt suspicious of. Not that it was anything bad, but something said. This is not right. Well, when you do something every day, that's right. You get the feeling when that's, something's that's not right. quite right. So they came back to the harbor. There was no, there was no weather apps. Yeah, there, there was, was no, no Doppler radar. Nothing. 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 So, and we did. I mean, we didn't even know what a hurricane was. So we were at school, Betty and I. Eileen was at college in Providence. We um, at about quarter three. The wind was increased, something terrible, and they did not want us to go off in the bus. So they got small cars, and the big boys and the fishermen, the young men, came and had to hold open the back doors. And it took two men to each door to hold it open so we could come out and get in cars. My mother was wallpapering with a friend out on Beach Avenue. I went there. Betty came home and stayed with Norma at the McPhee's house down here. And my mother uh, couldn't get home. There was no telephone. Everything had been wiped out. We had a cable for our long distance. That was gone. So the only contact was by radio. Now, Eileen was in Providence with, of course, the the water had come through from Narragansett Bay. Yeah, flooded the feet though. above the the uh, ground, you know. And there was a, a Piper Cub that came from um, the National Guard and took a swing around and went back and said, Block Island's missing. <laughs> well, of course, it wasn't true, but it, it, they they broadcast it as being true on the mainland. So Eileen said, oh, my God. <laughs> Where was oh he looking? I, my, my whole family wiped out. Oh, my God. Oh, how terrifying. So then, I know. And so finally, the next day, they corrected it. And the only way she could get hold of us was through a, a radio connection. And and when you did that, everybody listened in to your conversation uh-huh. anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? But she was very grateful. But it took my my father and all the fishermen 
put out as many lines as they could, and then they went and they stood underneath the uh, what was the post office and is now Ernie's restaurant. And, and it was that, open under there. Was it in that position? Because yeah, that building the, was moved once upon a time, no, right? Uh, no, the, the building next door. Oh, okay. The, the main yeah. building was moved from across the street. Okay. Yeah. It had already been moved at oh, that time. Oh, yeah, already been moved. And and the fishermen were all there. <clears throat> they had put all these extra lines out. And, of course, those fishermen that were in the inner harbor, their boats would just went up on the breakwater. My father's was in the outer basin, and so anybody that was there, there was a. He said there was a black wave that came in, taller than the, the green light that's out on the main breakwater, and he said there was all kinds of stuff, that you could see, you know, flotsam and jetsam, and he said it went all the way up, to the front street in front of the national. And when it went out, it just made this sound. And his boat was one of the first ones to go out of the gap. Wow. He said, straight as a die, you'd have thought somebody was at the tiller. And she went out. Because as it drained back out, everything got sucked through that narrow, you know, that was the funnel to pull all the water back out? Yeah. That's incredible. And so he lost wow. his boat in the storm. He lost his boat, and and many many did. Um, and of course, there was no insurance. We lost our barn. We lost the hen house, but every hen survived. The hens made it. The hens made it. They got out. <laughs> they got in the bushes. It took the roof off. We had a little porch outside the kitchen door there, and that went. Uh, but the outbuildings were okay, and the but it was really the beginning of the end of what had been a really very pleasant life, shellfishing and farming. It was I hard was, work, but it was a wonderful life. But that was sort of the end of this as a f- considering it a fishing community. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That, because then World War II came so quickly after that, and all the young men went to war. Right, and when they came back, things were never the same. So, really, World War Two was kind of, or the hurricane. I think was, of the two of them connected. Right, right. And so, what happened after that? What what changed? What what became different? Well, it was a, it was a, you know, the depression was awful because, you know, nobody had money unless it was like somebody that worked at a government job. Or, you know, there were WPA uh, projects here, like the bridge mm-hmm. over at uh, Beach Avenue and the one over at Ocean Avenue. They were both built by the WPA. You know, it's funny. When she says that, I just assume they was always they were always there. Right. You know? Yeah. So those, was that big when it connected, like, two parts? Well, so it, you o- it to, opened up the pond. So if you wanted to go to, like, say, Twin Maples from here down the neck, you had to go all the way to town and then up and around? Yeah. You So it just created some shortcuts. Mm-hmm. Wow. I never even thought of that. Yeah. Like, you know, these things Well, you know, the, the, the road went, um, the old road went where um, Black Island Marine, yep. the institute there. Yep. There was a bridge across that where the hog pen is. Oh, like where over to like the Sullivan House area? Yeah. Okay. And and it went behind the Sullivan House and it came out what we call the end of the lane, right at uh, Scotch, the entrance to Scotch Beach. So there was a bridge from Scotch? From no, the, there was from a from bridge, the hog pen. bridge from West Side Road and Ocean Avenue um, across. Wow. Huh. I had no idea. And, I didn't it was, know that and there was no road in front of um, the um, power plant that went over to the harbor. That My father always called that the new road, and that's Ocean oh, and, Avenue. And hence Old Town Road was the way, yeah. that was the yep. way down. Oh, okay. Makes sense. Because I live on Old, they call my road Old Center Road because it was a pre-airport. Yeah. So that so I think I live on that dead end and that used yes, to be that straight dead that, end. that was Center Road. That was Center Road. And then they moved Center Road to put the yeah. airport in in the 50s It's the I only think. engineered road on the island and you can tell it when you're in your car if you put your foot on the gas a little bit and you're heading to the southern. 
Yeah. You know, and, you, and you're coming around that curve on the on the uh, runway. Yeah. You can feel your 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 car leaning left instead of being the rest of them are just crowned roads. Yeah. And you're thrown. That's why we have so many moped. These are not uh, engineered roads. They're just covered with macadam and crushed rock. They used to have a stone crusher, and the stone crusher was located uh, up on um, Kunamis Road, just in that little spot. You look and you'll see that the ground is still gravelly, and, uh, you know, you make the entrance to Old Mill Road. Yep. Mm -hmm. It was just a little bit south of that, and I was scared to death of it as a kid. It made a terrible noise. And I think Frank Payne Sr. was the uh, road commissioner. I believe he was at the time. And a lot of those roads were built, and they just covered him with stone that they crushed themselves and put macadam tar on him. Was there any was there any tourism at that time? or No, there were no. Um, Weldon Dodge had the first bulldozer. Oh, it was very exciting. When he, after after the war, I yeah. mean, you wanted something dug, you dug it by hand. Wow! But at that time, most of the visitors that didn't live here would actually come in summer cottage for the summer. Yeah. They but the, a lot of the day like we have now, where thousands of people come every day. <laughs> a, a friend of mine said, she said her father used to come for um, the season, and uh, he came home one day and he said to his wife, "Yeah," he says. She wants $370 for the season next year. <laughs> and he says, it's just too much money. <laughs> so, uh, now, this cottage had no bathroom, had no running water. I'll take it. Had no electricity. It sounds like my room. And the kids had the best time they ever had in their yeah, life. Sure. I loved my summers here when we didn't have, you know, I know. it was so fun. You felt like you're in a different world. All you of know? your family, we thought the world of the Johnsons. Oh, I thank you. Yeah, yeah, they really, they were great people. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. They were so great. when did you know, in the 50s, uh, so after World War II, now America's rebuilding, the economy's booming in the 50s. Um, so that's when Not people- booming here in the 50s. Okay, so, but people were coming out in the 50s and again- Not not so not, much. Not so much. Okay. Not, not really until um, around from the middle 50s on, they began to come. Okay. But they're a very nice group of people that would come to um, f for the enjoyment of the island. Yeah. Yeah. They, they were content with the small houses. They didn't want big, ugly houses. It didn't matter to them. They put up with everything because they thought the place was ideal the way it was. Not that it was, but, I mean, to sure. them, they were here in the summer. They were not struggling in the winter. Right, to but heat we the were, house. You know, and... I, um, I was married in 1951, and um, Ed was making uh, $35 a week gross pay, and I was making 18 and that's what you lived on. And that's what we lived on. Wow. And what were those winters like back in, in your childhood? I mean, was it time? You mean? Yeah. What was the what was the winter time like? What was one of the roughest? Very quiet. Like? Quiet. Quiet. Yeah. yeah. Very quiet. Yeah. And a lot of attention had to be just towards keeping the house heated and keeping food on the table. Absolutely. And that's we, right. you know, we um, we made our own fun. You know, there were dances. At the firemen, there were dances at the Legion. Um, there were uh, uh, entertainments that people put on, you know. I always remember uh, Eddie Wall. Eddie Wall was in school here, and he had a one-man band. He had a drum that he played with his foot, had a harmonica and a guitar. And it might have been a ukulele. But I can remember him at the Baptist Church. Everything took place at the Baptist Church, the one that burned down. Because it had like a stage in the back, it was raised like a theater is. Yeah, and uh, the big window was on the north side of it, and they had balconies and they had under the balconies. So a lot of people could fit in there. Wow! And so entertainments were held there, minstrels were held there. Terrible. I mean, you wouldn't think of a minstrel today. 
Uh, but they were a lot of fun then. What do you mean by a minstrel? They would dress up in in blackface. Oh, I you're mean, kidding. You, you'd be killed today. Wow. Different times, obviously. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, times, I, right, I yes. remember those times. I mean, yeah. nobody took offense at it. The, the, the families that were here that were black were just like all of us. Yeah, you never. Yeah, yeah. you. No one viewed any African American. No, and the only thing, the same. only thing that made me Black Islanders made me aware of it was when I became town clerk and I discovered that the town had set aside a black cemetery, which I thought was terrible. Yeah, that was. Right. Oh, really? That yeah. was, and that was when you were a town clerk. A town clerk. Yeah. So it had been there for many years. It's wow. yeah. That's there's still a section that that's what it was. Really? Not any not any well, longer. Uh, right, but right, you right. know, um, that yeah. that that was there. Yeah. And now the church that you're talking about with these uh, events and functions that burned down. Yes. And now that's I was 14. And is that where the Leos? All right, I'm lost. So Hend- where- Hendrickson. Henderson. Oh, oh, the Hendrickson House, house yeah, was a church. Oh, so it wasn't uh, where the current Old Harbor Baptist Church is. The Baptist Church was right there on yep. Chapel Street. Okay, and that's that's the one they burned down. Oh, wow, wow! I was fourteen, and I was my mother was the cook at uh, Ballads for the family, and she came in, and um, uh, I was staying with her that night. I usually was at home, but I stayed with her that night. There'd been something going on at Ballard's. She was a cook there for the family. And Mrs. Ballard came and called to me and said, Edith, would you go with Mr. Ballard? The church is on fire. And uh, what I was going to do, a kid at 14, I don't know. But his uh, Buick was parked in uh, a building that's now gone near the... um, Seacrest. Okay, yeah. So his 1938 Buick was in there, and of course they didn't want it to burn up. So all the boys from school had these Indian tanks on their backs because it was blowing northwest, a living gale. And um, the sparks were going up High Street. It's a wonder we didn't lose the whole town. And we would have if it hadn't been for my cousin, Jeremiah Littlefield. Uh, he was in the Coast Guard at the time, and he was on a, uh, a, an 83-footer, and he'd come into the island because it was blowing so hard. So he was anchored at the dock there, and he took the 83-footer around and had a pump on it and pumped salt water on uh, as many roofs as he could. Oh, sort of like wow. letting the wind take it and make it rain yeah. on that whole area. Yeah. yeah. But I can remember seeing the, as I got up there, I when Mr. Ballard got the car out, I said, I want to walk over to the church. And I got there just as the bell tower fell in. Oof. Wow. And uh, I was heartbroken. I really was. I wanted to have my graduation there. And uh, it didn't happen. But... All these kids from high school, you know, all the boys had these Indian tanks that they'd put on their back filled with water, and they climbed ladders and uh, uh, wet the roofs down because they thought that they might have lost the whole town. Wow. They could have. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, it could have very was, easily It was happened. blowing a gale northwest. Wow. And I remember the little birds <laughs> thought it was morning. <laughs> and they came, and they were at the birdhouse. I, I never forgot it. It was just right next door, that building that um, Gail Ballard has her place in now. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 on Chapel Street. Wow. <laughs> wow. Well, and the birds thought the fire made it was sunrise, time to get up. <laughs> but I remember the fireman, uh, uh, Brainerd Day was, of course, young then. And I remember the ladder being frozen. And they slipping and falling off of it. Oh, jeez. It's terrible. They ever figure out what caused the fire? No. Who knows? They'd been painting, and who knows? Fumes might have yep, yep. caught, you know. The, uh, earlier, you uh, Chris was telling us a little something about the, uh, the big event of a new fire engine. Oh, coming to the, the new, that, I tell you, that was so <laughs> exciting. Uh, my husband, was Ed, was fire chief then. And the whole winter had been spent figuring out the specifications for this truck, see? 
So it's ready to come. He showed you the clip from the newspaper. Yeah. $18,000 for the new for truck. For a brand new fire truck. <laughs> oh, everybody. And that was a fortune back then. It right. was. Yeah. And I mean, to get it through and get it voted on. So the um, it was to come. And then there was the trouble because there was nothing big enough to bring it. Uh, no boat that came no to the No boat. I mean, we had the spring carol. It was yep. in January. And so- <laughs> they figure out some something to do with the Coast Guard and, and uh, a senator in uh, Providence, and they finally got permission to put it on a buoy tender. So they bring it. Now, a buoy tender is not set up to deliver cars no. or trucks. <laughs> and they came into the New Harbor Dock and, of course, had a terrible time getting it off the uh, they had to wait for the tide to be just right for the openings. You know, there was nothing hydraulic. It was all. So you had to wait for the tide to float the yes, boat to the right, right height. And that's then, right. And then what do they do? Put a big steel piece that's of right. bank gang plank? Yeah, I mean, you look at the trucks now, they just automatically go in and it, it's adjusted. Yeah, they have hydra- dropped the Hydraulically, thing. yeah. yeah. Wow. And so it came colder than hell it was in january and of course we were all down at the dock to see it because we were very excited about this fire engine and i remember ed being down there and uh, finally they get her on the dock and and he chris has a picture of him driving it up but everybody was down there to meet the meet the it was so cold Wow. I would have not want to been the one to be responsible to drive that truck <laughs> oh, off of that dock. No, but Ed was so proud of it. I mean, we'd spent hours figuring out the specifications and what would fit. And well, that's what I mean. The whole town is focused on it. And you, yeah, you know, you every, got the, every, everybody's talk about everybody watching you. Yeah, it's like when and they we just spent, you know, a ton you know, of money. When we had the 300th anniversary of the island, you know, the incorporation, it was, it was, everybody was there. Can you imagine if they left the forgot the keys on the mainland? <laughs> Hell, no. Such a thing would never happen. I, I, I don't even know if I'd want to drive it down Payne's Dock. I looked at the picture and it looks so rickety yeah. and you know, I know crooked and yeah, I know. Yeah. Oh my god, yeah, that would be I, when I got when I got back to the land part after the dock. I would have just be like, yes, because of course the enormous weight of it and everything. Yeah. So this was a the the arrival of a new fire truck. Yeah, was something that blocked. Island back then was like this is a big deal. It was a brand well, new I fire think we truck. had a 1929 right. Rio. Yeah, that was the main fire truck. And there you have it: the arrival of a brand new fire truck on Block Island. Big news back in the day. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, tune in to Two Guys on Block Island next week when we continue our conversation with Edie Blaine. What's